Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. The main reason why I went through with my idea is because I wanted to prove so many people wrong because they said I could never do it. And it was just, it was like, I have to do this. Because you get to that certain point, like I just had to do it. But for anybody getting into this, for one, do not do it for the money because it's very rare that you just invent an idea, you make millions and it just happens just like that. So don't do it for the money and be very simple with your idea. Stay simple. A product that solves a problem and people actually want. See if people want it. And I, that's why I love crowdfunding because it's a way to see if the, the market even demands it of you. And if it does, your campaign fails, then maybe you need to go to your next idea. The Product Startup, Episode 27. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast. Helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step. With your host, Philip Valitza. In the last episode, we talked with Tanya Heath, who created a multi-height shoe with removable heels. The interesting part of the interview for me was that she was able to do all of this in Paris, where the idea of a convertible shoe was pretty much sacrilege. So make sure to check out episode 26 if you want to hear how she spent the last two and a half years on R&D and how she sources manufacturing and production locally. So a boss I used to work with once told me, if you're not growing, you're just dying a slow death. And I thought it was a bit extreme at the time, but I came to realize how important it is to continue innovating. I worked for an industry-leading company that lost its edge by resting on the success generated a decade before. One of our competitors in, in our niche outspent us in R&D for a few years, and they made a product that was much easier to use and service. Eventually, third-party technicians and operators that service our equipment started singing praises of the competitor's equipment to our mutual customers, and our brand started to lose market share at a rate that we couldn't recover from. Obviously, there's a lot going on in publicly traded companies, so it's not as easy as putting more money into this particular part of R&D. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made, but I think there's definitely a lesson learned there to continue pushing ahead. And, you know, all of us, I think, need to continue to get to that next level. Otherwise, our competitors that are nipping at our heels right now will uh, take the lead. So in that spirit, I'm going to run an experiment for the next week. This podcast has made some decent gains, but it recently hit a new plateau. And it's critical for me to build something that you, dear listener, find useful. Something worthy of subscribing to and sharing with friends and coworkers. So here's the experiment. For everyone that writes an iTunes review and sends me a screenshot at philip at theproductstartup.com and tells me how to make this podcast more useful, I will trade 30 minutes of my time to help you get unstuck wherever you are in the product development process. So some things that we could talk about are maybe establishing the feature and specification set for your new product and creating a concept to solicit feedback from users. We could talk about narrowing down design elements in mechanical products and identify some of the manufacturing methods that you could use to prototype and make them efficiently. I can also suggest some design changes or maybe even create a test plan to improve the quality and reduce your manufacturing costs, specifically for mechanical products. I'm available to brainstorm other things as well, but 
And we can also talk about using subcontractors and vendors to make your, to turn your product idea from a concept to delivery if you want to use outside contractors for that. So there's no bull, no upsell. I'm putting my time where my mouth is. It's that important to me. I really want to fix this growth issue now to make this the best podcast for founders of physical products. It's more important for me to do that than to make a sale. I recently switched to working on my side hustle full time, and I really want to do everything I can to grow this site and podcast. So shoot me your iTunes review and your thoughts on how to make this show more useful for you to F-I-L-I-P at theproductstartup.com, and we'll set up a 30-minute slot to cover anything that you want to talk about. And now on to today's episode. Brandon Adams invented the Arctic Stick during his college years. He pushed that product through concept, design, manufacturing, and funding. We'll definitely get into more of the funding side as Brandon will share some of his crowdfunding tips and his experiences helping his clients launch products and services on crowdfunding platforms. So let's get started. Hi, Brandon. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, bud. So you have a really cool story. Not only did you bring your own product to market, but you also run a company that helps people with their Kickstarter campaigns. And I wanted to talk about both a little bit today, just because we've had a lot of guests on the show that had some success with crowdfunding, and but we haven't been able to get into the level of detail to kind of talk about what makes those pro, uh, campaigns successful. Uh, but I also definitely wanted to talk about your product. So tell everyone a little bit about how you got started with Arctic Stick. Yeah, I'll get into it. It's funny to say a cool product I have. It's, it's actually used to cool drinks. Um, so a little bit about my background. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I grew up in an ice business. My dad sold frozen water for a living. Yes, you can make money doing that. People laugh sometimes. Um, it's an ice stripper ship that sells packaged ice. It was one hot day. I was delivering, and I wanted to keep one bottle of beverage colder for a longer period of time. And instead of putting ice cubes in, which is time-consuming, I want something different. That day with that idea, everybody has that light bulb moment, I decided to act on it. I invented the idea Arctic Stick, a product to cool and flavor your bottle of beverage. Took it to Iowa State University uh, back in 2012 and uh, won a class competition and uh, won 500 bucks at the time. Graduated from college. I'm like, okay, I got an idea. Now what? Like, what do I do to move forward? And uh, I ended up raising, and it was six weeks, I raised 10 grand from family, friends, and I guess fools, strangers, uh, to get that product just started, jump started. I found a successful inventor, entrepreneur called, uh, his name was Jack Behringer. He had been on Shark Tank, and he had uh, taken many products to market and had over a dozen patents. Found somebody that could do it. And uh, he kind of mentored me along the way. So fast forward uh, three about three years, I went through the product development, doing CAD drawing. I partnered with a company called Product Quick Start or Slingshot Product Development Group at the time in Atlanta, Georgia. They helped me with developing, doing manufacturing, been through a lot of different jugs in the process. And then I got to my final leg of funding. I needed to pay for the tooling, the, the machinery to mass produce this product, which anybody in the inventing field knows how expensive it can be. Sure. And so I... I saw that uh, I needed to raise 25 grand. I turned to crowdfunding. I did a Kickstarter campaign. And this was 2000. This is July 2014. Actually, during when the coolest cooler was on their second round when they raised 13.2 million. So I, I did a campaign. In 33 days, I raised. It was 26,421 dollars. I had a successful campaign. Got the money I needed for the tooling. But I found out how 
many things I did wrong. And I saw that 60 to 70% of the campaigns are failing out there. So I was on a mission to be the top in crowdfunding. I want to be really good at it. I want to teach others how to do it. And you fast forward a year, I ended up creating a whole company around it called Keys to the Crowd. Uh, it's at keystothecrowd.com. But what I did to stand out and learn, I ended up interviewing people. I, I started my own podcast show. One thing that I did different that I don't think anybody else in the world does, I went on TV across the country, talked about crowdfunding, and then I actually promoted local campaigns in that city on Kickstarter and Indiegogo on live TV that even know about. I just promoted it. And then, well, I know, pretty random. So I got my publicity from that. But where I really stood out from the crowd is I ended up doing John Lee Dumas's campaign for the Freedom Journal. We raised four hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars on Kickstarter with over seven thousand backers in thirty-three days. Jeez. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was it was like that overnight success, you know, <laughs> which took so long to get to that point. And uh, I've worked with other people such as Joel Com, Kevin Harrington, Rizzle Shark, Shark Tank. Um, done some very unique campaigns. I even got a couple right now that are potential to do seven figures. But uh, that's so. Kind of recap my story. Uh, it all started with uh, an idea I had on a hot day to take a, a product called the Arctic Stick to market. Got it to market after spending a hundred grand of my hard-earned money and uh, three and a half years of education in it. I uh, got that to market, sells on Amazon. But where it really led me to is crowdfunding. I like to help people take their ideas to market through crowdfunding, and uh, it's a great way to raise money, but also raise awareness and find strategic partners in the industry. Great. I want to talk about Arctic Stick just for a little bit because it's really cool to have somebody on that can understand both sides of the coin of you know crowdfunding, of creating the product, and also funding it. You mentioned that you spent $100,000 of your money to create this and bring it to market. Can you maybe break down just in rough terms where that money went? Uh, a lot of it went to things that I shouldn't have went to. <laughs> I, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, actually, one thing that happened with my tooling, the tooling, it, it didn't quite turn out exactly how it was supposed to. Uh, so it's very unique for my product, Arctic Stick. There's two components. You have an inner cavity and outer cavity. It's basically two pieces of polypropylene that go together. Um, and when you put two plaques together and you expect to fill it full of liquid and freeze it and it expands and, and basically use it over and over again, it's hard to get something to seal, especially the atmospheric pressure. So that mistake cost me thousands of dollars, but it actually – um, that mistake got on the got me on the cover in Venner's Digest. Uh, it was Arctic Meltdown. Uh, just talked about how all this money I put into and this product delayed going to market for a year because of this problem. So that spent some money. Uh, the tooling ended up costing probably maybe after all the mistakes, maybe thirty five thousand or more. Wow. Um, and then for marketing, <laughs> here's one thing. It's funny. I spent a lot of money promoting my idea. I think this is something inventors can relate to. So you get an idea and you're so excited and it's your baby and you want to tell the world about it. But I told the world about it a lot before it was even available to buy. And I got on TV and all this stuff, publicity, before it even was time to even get the publicity. So I spent money doing that. I actually spent money with a mentor who I paid on a monthly basis. I paid him actually $500 a month for two years. And that got me, um, I learned a lot from him more than for the inventing world, but that's where some money was spent. And then you figure prototyping and CAD drawings, engineers aren't cheap. You know exactly what that's like. Yep. No, we're uh, not. But I did learn <laughs> in college. Um, so I had a buddy in college that actually did a lot of CAD drawings for me before I, I went to a professional and I just paid him in beer and like 
a little bit of cash in there. Um, but that was one thing, uh, they did help me out, but I guess for anybody out there listening, here's my advice for me spending the hundred grand that I didn't need to be spent. Uh, find somebody who's already done it before <laughs> like me or, or anybody that's done it, learn from their mistakes because mistakes are the most costly thing you can have bootstrap it. There's always ways as an entrepreneur think creatively. There's always ways around actually paying people because if you want to just pay people outright for every service it is to get your product to market and your bootstrap, like you're going to, you're going to go broke real quick. Uh, and, uh, just think simple, try not to complicate things. And, uh, I guess if you really want to just invent ideas and get them to market quicker, do the licensing route. It'd be a lot easier than trying to turn your product into a company, which you can do is what I, what I actually intended to do. Um, but, uh, just for my insight, if you just want to invent ideas, have somebody else deal with the marketing, everything else, um, it's a lot cheaper route, if, especially if you find the right uh, partners to do it for you. Yeah, absolutely agree with a lot of the points that you made, especially bribing friends and family to help you with things or, you know, people in college to help you out with stuff. That's definitely the shoestring way to go. So, you know, you mentioned that you found your passion in crowdfunding. Talk a little bit about what led to that and the realization that you had that there's other people that have this need and I'm just going to become the best at doing this. Yeah. So I saw opportunity. I saw a need in the market from my own experience. And it was so unique now that I think about it too. Like not many people could say they like took a product to market from beginning to end and then did it through crowdfunding. But then now I started a company in crowdfunding to specifically do that. So I guess when I did that campaign for ArcStick, <clears throat> I thought I knew everything going into it, but I didn't, I really didn't know squat. I, I didn't know much about crowdfunding, but I learned fast. And I, I really had to work for every dollar that I raised in that campaign. <clears throat> but I saw other people failing, which I hate to see entrepreneurs fail. I mean, a crowdfunding campaign can make your dreams come true or it could really make your dreams crash and burn. And I don't like seeing that. And after so many people come into me and ask me for advice on how to take product to market or anything else, I'm like, well, I need to help people on a bigger scale. I knew that podcasting could help me do that. But also I saw this opportunity to become the crowdfunding expert in the industry, like there was crowdfunding experts out there, but nobody like for say the, the celebrity, I wanted to become that celebrity in the industry that people saw like, Oh, when they think of crowdfunding, they think of Branty Adams, the king of crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just saw the opportunity and I went with it and that's where I did the random thing of going on TV across the country. I like for a while, I think 10 weeks straight, every week I was on TV in different state promoting crowdfunding campaigns. And that just kind of made me stand out from the crowd. And then from there, it, it attracted certain people. And then obviously when I got some big names on board to work with me, that got my track record up. And then after doing campaigns, I've done seven or is eight campaigns in the last 10 months. And we've raised about three quarters of a million so far. And now I'm getting to some bigger campaigns that could raise seven figures easily. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, but uh, I wanted to help other people. That was the biggest thing. And I saw that everybody is failing. And I found out from across the board what made a campaign successful and what made it fail and what the successful campaigns like the Pebble Watch, the Coolest Cooler, and all these big known campaigns are doing in order to succeed. And I, I just turned it into this, this acronym for called my fund formula. It's F for forethought, U for utilize marketing plan, N for narrative, and D for deliver value. And that fund formula is what Basically, I teach all my clients 
uh, we work with when we do a campaign with them and what anybody should know if they're going to do a campaign. That's really great that you got into that level of detail because we're definitely going to drill down to a little bit. A lot of the people that we've had on the podcast have done their own Indiegogo campaign or their own Kickstarter campaign, and they've never done anything like that before. And like you said, sometimes they've stumbled through it and they were successful and other times maybe less so. Can you talk about maybe some of the typical issues that you've seen with campaigns and, and why they might not fund or why they might not even get as much money as they could? It's funny because this is like the whole thing I talked about in my TV segments. <laughs> I had my pitch sound good because you usually get about four minutes to be on TV and you got to you gotta go fast. So there's three main mistakes that most people make. Um, one is lack of preparation. A lot of people, they think that they're going to put the campaign up and it's going to be overnight success and everybody's going to succeed and you're going to get so much money. It doesn't work that way. You got to spend hours and hours building your campaign out, <clears throat> building up your audience, getting people on board to spread the word, trying to find influencers to to tweet out or do a Facebook share, or send out their email list at a time. Most people just show up on day one and they expect it's going to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the biggest mistakes. And then the next one is lack of promotion. They they do a Facebook share or tweet out and they think that is going to make it go viral. It's beyond that. I mean, it's it's putting money in ads. It's uh, it's also um, getting a bunch of people with big email lists. It's setting out to the 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 editors, the the journalists ahead of time to get stories, try to get on the end gadget or anything like that. It's getting on podcast shows. It's doing Facebook lives, and it's also, by the way, I found a lot of success in my last campaign, Snapchat. There's a great way to market with Snapchat for a crowdfunding campaign. So that the next mistake and another thing, you know, for inventors, we have this, this feeling like our ideas are our babies and we value it so much. So what we think the value of it is, is different than what somebody else sees it as. So you need sure. insight from other people. So they, they don't create enough value in their reward levels. So they might, and this is a big mistake I made with Arctic stick. So for Arctic stick, we were doing a, a three pack for 15 bucks on our campaign. I should have did a six pack for $15, which is what it sells for on Amazon. I wasn't thinking, I thought people were just going to give me money because my product was cool. Well, no, you have to give value. And when you have your reward levels for a product, you got to look at it this way. You need to give the, the Kickstarter backers or Indiegogo uh, backers, you need to give them a, a discounted value of your product. So let's say it's going to retail in the market for 20 bucks on your crowdfunding campaign have it listed for like 12 or $15. Um, so give it, give a lot of value and reward levels. And then people are more likely to give you money. So those are the three mistakes that I've seen across the board that people make all the time. And it, it sucks because a lot of times the people contact me the day after the campaign launches and they'll be like, Hey, anything you can do for me? Well, it's too late. You need to raise 30 to 40% of your total funding goal in the first 48 hours. And if you don't do that, your chance of success are very slim. That's a very good metric to have. So what happens if you don't raise the 30% in your first 48 hours? What do you do? Most people, what I say is cancel the campaign and hire me and start over. But uh, no, it's so the biggest thing, the reason for that, and so people know why. So with Indiegogo, Indiegogo calls of GoGo factor, Kickstarter, you look at our algorithm. So in the first 38 or uh, 24 to 48 hours, you need to get a lot of traction on the page. And the, the traction that allows you to get featured or a better placement on the page or more eyeballs, they use the combination of attraction to the page, amount of people that view the page actually uh, go to it, the amount of backers 
and the amount of money raised in X amount of hours. So by that, that little uh, math algorithm they do, basically the more money and more backers and more attention you get to that page in the first 48 hours, the more they'll put you higher up in their search engine. So you're getting organic traffic. Right. And it's like momentum. So once you get that momentum, you're a lot more likely to reach your funding goal early on, which helps you get a higher percentage. And people look at it this way. So like, let's say you're 24 hours in and you have like 40% of your funding goal already raised. Mentally, people look at it, they're like, well, it's already, it looks like it's going to become successful, more likely to back it. But if they see like 10 or 15% raise of your funding goal, they're going to look at it and be like, some people look at it this way. Like, I don't think it's going to succeed. So I'm not even going to pledge it anyways. Um, and then the first 40 hours is just vital to get that. And if it doesn't, and I've seen this from my first campaign, you got to constantly work harder and harder and harder to try to get people to back your campaign because if it flattens out right away, because your, your most money comes in in your first your week, your first week or first four to five days and your last four to five days, the middle, it kind of flattens out. So you need to go out of the gates with a big boom, which helps you get a lot more people. I guess one way of doing that is making sure that everybody knows about the campaign up front. I know uh, people that have done campaigns that have basically emailed everyone they've ever interacted with in life to say, here's the, my crowdfunding campaign. What is your thought on that? And what do you do if you don't want to spam your friends and family? Don't do a crowdfunding campaign. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's only one way to succeed pretty much. You got to leverage your, your audience and other people's audiences. I mean, it is calling in all favors for friends and family, but also you got to be willing to reach out to a lot of people and call in favors. Uh, a big thing I say, and this is what you can do with a book launch too, and Gary Vee is big on saying this, spend a whole day in a hotel room and reach out to every friend you have, send them a personal email and say, hey, I'm doing this campaign. This project means a lot to me. Would you be willing to help me out on this date and back the campaign? And if you have something in return, like for me, what I do is I offer like access to one of my courses for free or something, offer them something, but get them to commit to pledging on day one. And then maybe you offer different incentives for people that are going to support you on day one. So we've done anybody that, that backs on day one of a campaign, uh, will match, uh, one of my partners, Greg Roulette with ambitious adventures. We said, Hey, whatever dollar amount you match on day one, we'll match dollar for dollar in ambitious box towards all the online courses we have. So that's an incentive, um, offering them something else of value, making exclusive perks on day one, mm -hmm. but you have to leverage audiences and then you have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone and reach out to people in that field. So let's say you're crowdfunding for a fitness product, try to find all the fitness gurus and influencers in the industry and send them an email and say, Hey, I'm doing this project. Um, I'd be willing to maybe potentially give you free product or whatever it is. Would you be willing to help me and support this uh, to get the word out there? I think it's a great product the industry needs. Could you send this out to your email list and do a tweet out and a Facebook share when the campaign goes live? And if you get people like that on board, a bunch of people, um, you're more like, likely to have success. It's a numbers game. The more numbers you can reach right away, the more success you'll have. Definitely. I, I could see some of the campaigns that didn't fund it was just because they just never got that traction from the beginning and they didn't have a you know wide enough net. Yeah, it's exactly right. If you're a product designer, an inventor, you've come up with something. Is there a unique method to marketing for each type of product? For example, let's say you've got a food product that you're coming out with versus something that's for home and kitchen. Or do you find that the methodology is more or less the same? <laughs> it makes me think of the, the 
the potato salad campaign <laughs> that, that happened during mine too. It, it's funny how he made that go viral, but no, it depends. So like if you're doing a product, you're obviously, you're going to be, your main perk level is going to be that, that product and offering that value. But if you're going to do, so for example, I've done one for one of the events. I've actually launched two companies through crowdfunding of my own, which I thought, I just thought of that the other day. I didn't realize it until I actually was doing research on something, but, uh, one of them was event called Young Entrepreneur Convention, and we weren't what we were giving them was tickets to event. We were selling them an experience. So you have the different the reward levels for a campaign. You have your your product itself. You have a the experience, maybe uh, uh, something unique, a once a lifetime opportunity. They're all different things. So depending on what you're trying to raise money for, will decide what you're going to offer the crowd, which will change how you're going to approach um, your campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so the biggest thing is knowing first what you're actually raising the money for, and then people want to see where's their money directly going. So if it was an invention or a product, they know that when they back your the campaign, that's what the money's going to, to actually create that product. And that's what they get in return. Now, for recently last July, this past month, we did a campaign for a TV show. We weren't giving them, we were giving them DVDs, but the experience we gave them was unique opportunity to be a part of the film, to to get inside secrets like behind the scenes, just unique experiences that not many people get. So that, that will decide how you launch your campaign and how you really build out your perk levels, your reward levels in the page and also the video itself. In essence, basically, this is just like a miniature market strategy session where you're having to speak with people before you even launch the campaign to see what they would buy or what they would sponsor your campaign for because they might not respond to some of the things that you're putting up on your campaign. That's exactly right. So that's actually – so crowdfunding is a way to get market feedback, but also I suggest to get market feedback before you even launch a campaign because you want to ask people uh, beyond just your friends and family like other people – that don't know you or care what, I mean, give real feedback, what they would be willing to pay for a pledge level. Like, what will they give you? What, what would they want? I mean, then you customize your, your perk levels based off of what they want. And what I say for our clients, we want them to have 30 to 40% of their total funding goal committed to on day one by reaching out and getting people that are committed to a two, five, $10,000 campaign level or perk level, or getting, let's say a hundred people at, $50 uh, committed to a certain backer level. So when you do launch, you already have for sure amount of people that are going to pledge your campaign because that is what really decides getting all that other traffic that aren't your friends and family or people you've reached out to. It's people that do, don't even know you. And that's when it's beautiful because it's organic traffic and it's real proof of concept. Well, I think people underestimate the amount of work that goes into just even planning a campaign, much less even running it. One of the people that I spoke with on the show here said that she basically spent every day of the 30 days that the campaign was live on Kickstarter, just managing the campaign and making sure that she was interacting properly on social media to hit her funding goal. And she was raising $100,000 and she was successful, but it basically sounded like a third job. Oh, it's a full-time job. I mean, just to give you insight for how much work it is, I mean... For our team, when somebody hires us, there's six of us on it that that work with them for professional social media guy, doing copy, uh, publicity, all that. I mean, I would suggest when you do a campaign, have a team and get them. And even if, if you want to incentivize them, let's say you don't have much money to pay a company to help you do the advisory for it. Um, get some people that 
maybe they're really good at social media. They're really good at writing copy or visuals or whatever else and offer them a percentage of the race. So they're incentivized to reach out to their audience and to make it a huge success. So it takes a team. It takes a lot of work uh, to do a real crowdfunding campaign. Uh, you got to put a lot of work into it, but it's well worth it because the value of it is beyond the money you raise. You, you can see the potential or the, the, what it does for you in years to come, getting publicity, uh, reaching out to strategic, strategic partners, just having all these kind of opportunities come to you because of this campaign that you create. In terms of how much effort it takes, what do you think someone should budget the cost for something like this? Because like you said, you need to take out Facebook ads and invest some money in getting uh, your brand out there. If you wanted to raise $40,000 or $50,000, how much of that money is going to go right back into marketing? Yeah, so I like to say 5 to 10% of your total fun, total raise that you plan on doing goes to the ads, to actual like marketing. And I would say the best ROI if you're doing what we I found out is from just Facebook ads alone, retargeting. Um, so spending money on ads itself just depends on your situation. That's what I, we've done. And a lot of that actually is going into ads to build up our list before it even launches. So once we launch, we have this this pool of emails that are people that signed up that are interested in the campaign already. So once you notify them on day one, they're they're most likely to back it. So you already have an audience built up. And then once your campaign launches, you, you can just do retargeting ads towards that existing audience that you've built up. So spending money on that, um, again, every campaign's different. I mean, some of the campaigns... <clears throat> For our clients, I mean, they're spending like twenty grand uh, to put a campaign together. I mean, there's big companies that get into this that do crowdfunding campaigns because it's the cheapest, easiest way to take a product to market. Um, so that uh, every situation is different. If you have experts on board that can do certain areas like social media ads or writing the copy or creating the video, the video is a very important aspect, then leverage them to help you out so you don't have to pay out. I do say like the video is one of the most important things of the campaign because it's the first thing that people see and people in today's day and age, I mean, even me, like I have ADD a little bit, like it's hard to keep somebody's focus for a longer period of time. And I'm talking like three, four minutes. Right. So if you can create a really good crowdfunding video that gets their attention, captivates them and educates them about what your product is and you can get them involved in that way. That will allow them to understand what it is you're asking of them, and they'll give you money. So, hey, get a professional videographer on board. The video is important. Don't create some video that's from your iPhone with uh, bad audio and just bad visual. Like, uh, it has to be a really good video. Yeah, it um, has to have a ukulele in the background. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it has to be. It has to be good. Like I've seen where people have created videos. One time, a guy. I seen a video. He created a nine minute video where he was sitting on his couch asking for money. And I'm pretty sure there's a beer can in front of the computer. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, you're asking for money. And what, like, because the video, if you see a really good video, then if people see that, they're like, wow, if they put this much work in the video, they're going to put this much work into investing my money wisely into creating the thing that they say they're going to create. Right. Or if you create a really bad video, like that kind of tells the perception or the value of your work. Like if you're doing, if you don't put much work into this, what makes us think you're going to put much work into your idea? Totally get what you're saying about the video. And I think, you know, people invest in the team or in the individual before they invest in the product because they don't know if the product is going to be successful. So they're, 100%. they're, they're banking on you to deliver. So what would you advise a introvert to do? That's not comfortable with getting on a video and hawking their product. Learn to become an extrovert for that period of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you don't necessarily have to, but 
Does it have to be you? Can it be somebody else? Can it be it an can actor? It be somebody else, but it's not going to be the same effect. Like, it depends on the approach you take. But the big thing in crowdfunding is, like, depending on the campaign you're doing. I mean, it's different for a, a huge company that isn't doing it for the money. They're doing it for other reasons. Um, <clears throat> then it would be a different video. But let's say you're an inventor and you have an idea. And this, I'll just put my example for Arctic Sick. A lot of people invested in me because they believed in me. And I showed them how much I believed in this idea and how I needed help from people to help me create this and create a movement. Um, so that was very important for me being on camera. And I think for the creators, well, some of them crowd for, there's the people that like, there's backers like back thousands of projects. They're addicted to this. Mm -hmm. Like people will back it because of you and you only. And for me personally, I've backed a lot of my campaigns because I believed in the person on the camera that their idea and I believed and I wanted to help them. And I think you get a lot of backers from that. And I, I really think that that it should be important that you should be in the video in some way showing who you are as a person. And then through the campaign page itself, kind of telling your story and why it means so much to you and why it should matter to the people that are watching. So that's an interesting point. Uh, do you feel like the people in the video need to connect somehow with the audience? And what I mean by that is, you might see a gap in the market for something, whatever that is, yep. but you're not your target audience. You just saw the gap and you're looking to fill that with your own product. And so now you're looking to connect with a certain demographic or a certain segment of the market. Let's say it's people who bake cupcakes and you're not a cupcake baker. How do you put together a video that doesn't seem fake? Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. <clears throat> so let me get the example right. So you're saying if, if somebody was creating cupcakes, but they're not a cupcake fanatic, how do you get it to go? Yeah, or you're not the, the the picture of a cupcake fanatic, or you not might not be the ace of cakes uh, typical person. You're just an entrepreneur, and you found a product well, niche. What I would show is show the the pain, show the problem, um, and that's the biggest thing people see, and they can relate to that. You, just because you're not the expert in that area, but maybe you saw the problem. And for me, and this, I don't know, this is just kind of throwing some out there, but like let's say I, let's say I. I go and eat cupcakes and I go to this cupcake store that created the cupcakes, but they didn't create the specific cupcake that I wanted. And I was frustrated with this. So mm -hmm. what I did is I created a campaign video showing people like me eating a cupcake and be like showing a face like it's not that good and showing how I wanted this specific cupcake, but nobody made it. Have you ever felt that problem? Now, if you can help me, we're going to create a formula to create this cupcake that I love and maybe you like too. And then we can create other cupcakes that are similar to what you want, but they don't create on the market. So showing that pain and people that can relate to that same pain, they can relate to that person. I mean, it's like an idea and invention. Like when you see it and you look at the coolest cooler is a great example. It's like the best copy wrote for a video ever. Uh, Ryan Grepper did awesome that campaign. The first time around, they failed. The second time, they it was the most successful campaign at that time. They showed how a, a regular cooler didn't fulfill every need. It was just old junk cooler that he couldn't have a flashlight on. It couldn't have a, a radio player. It didn't have all the things that needed. So because of that problem that he had, he, he came up with a, a product that would solve them needs, fulfill that, that pain that he had. And because of that, people related, they bought that product. They bought a lot of it for 60,000 backers. So that's what I would say. Show the pain that people can relate to. And the solution to the pain is you and the money that you're going to give to that person to help solve that problem. And together you can solve the problem and create something that 
that solves that pain. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing advice, Brandon. You should be the uh, the next Billy Mays, the next pitchman. <laughs> uh, that flowed really well. I could see it on TV already unfolding that, with you know funny. music in the that's background. That's funny. You know, my one of my good friends, Kevin Harrington, invented the infomercial. So, like, I'll, I'll have to tell him that. <laughs> uh, you know, while we're talking about this, you know, you mentioned that you need to reach out to as many people as you can, and including people with some influence, bloggers, YouTubers, that type of thing. A lot of time, they're just getting pinched left and right for stuff. And so either they're going to be, again, they're charging you now for just for looking at your product or maybe for supporting it, or they just don't even have the time to reply back to you. How do you make that an enticing offer for them without really spending as much as you're going to earn? Yeah. So there's multiple ways. Uh, the first way I would take, and this we call this our ambassador program, um, to get influencers on board to help support your campaign, offer them something that doesn't cost you money. Offer them to be an elite ambassador that gets listed on your website with a link to their site, or they get listed on the campaign, they get free publicity. Or if that doesn't, mm-hmm. or offer them a, offer them a, a reward level for free. Or if it goes the next step, uh, make them affiliate. So Indiegogo makes this really easy. You can actually have a it's a referral program. So you can get give them a specific link. If you have an Indiegogo account, you can have a, a link when you go to that campaign page, you click it, and there's a link unique to you, and it'll track how much you uh, send to the page on the back end. So like I can know if Joe from wherever sent $10,000 worth of pledges. Um, make a deal where you give them X amount of percent of the pledges they direct. Make them an affiliate. That's one way. Um, be creative. I always say to entrepreneurs, be creative and offer something to value that person that makes it worth their time. But some of them, they might just, honestly, they might love your product so much and want it for themselves that they're willing to support it because they have that same problem. Um, it just depends on the situation of the person. But for a campaign, if you're launching a certain niche uh, product or industry, reach out to the people that are influencers in that industry because they, if they're in the industry, they're going to be a lot more likely to support you. So that's one thing I would say. So if, again, I go back to the fitness product. If I'm going to launch a fitness product and I want to get a big uh, audience on board, go to the celebrities in the fitness industry. Don't go to the the celebrity in the food industry. Um, Sure, sure. Yeah, so that would be my advice, the best approach. And, hey, you throw throw enough darts, you're going to eventually hit a bullseye. So reach out to a lot of people. They're not all going to commit. Don't feel bad if they don't. um, There's going to be a lot of people say no, but there are going to be people that say yes. And if you ask enough people, you're going to get enough people on board to help support your campaign. And no, absolutely. Just to relate to that, uh, John Lee Dumas, our campaign, in it, at that time, he had over 1,000 guests on his show. And we re- reached out to every single one of his past guests on his show and asked if they would support the campaign and send out their email list. I think we had maybe, maybe it is 20% or so that actually committed to it. So that's like a big number. Um, and they sent out their list. And, I mean, he leveraged – his ambassador program that we create, like that was one of the most vital things to his success. So not only on day one, did he have 18 or 20 podcast shows going out live from other shows he went on, but he had, I mean, probably in the millions of uh, emails that were sent out um, at once for day one of launch, which allowed us to raise a hundred grand in 33 hours. I mean, hundred grand in 33 hours, but that was all that yeah, work we put in prior. So on day one, that was all their success. It, it just didn't happen. I just want people to realize that like that campaign took so much work ahead of time. And for any campaign we do, there's so much work you have to put in prior to that pushing the launch button. Because once you push the launch button, you better have a lot of work done already. So people are going to come to it. 
and you mentioned Indiegogo a little bit. So I think part of the prep work is deciding what, what platform you're even going to be on. Can you just give us a quick rundown of the demographics or maybe the audiences that flock to Indiegogo versus Kickstarter and why you choose one versus the other? Yeah. So Kickstarter, it depends. I mean, I've been denied by Kickstarter before and I had to go on Indiegogo. Um, it's very unique. Kickstarter is really, um, they're very picky on who they have. Like you got to fit into their, their category. So Kickstarter is known for doing film and uh, tech projects is a big thing. Um, so that Indiegogo allows you to raise money for about any, really about anything. I mean, you can do nonprofits, fundraiser approach. Um, it lets you raise money for about whatever. They don't really make a judgment on what it is. So again, it just depends on what you're doing, what you're raising your money for. If you want to do anything with some kind of social approach with X amount of money goes towards this nonprofit or, hey, I'm raising directly for a nonprofit, um, Indiegogo is the way to go. <clears throat> Kickstarter, if you are doing specifically like a product or like some kind of tech product or maybe a film itself, that's what you do. So just to give you an example of the campaigns I've done, Kickstarter, when we did the Freedom Journal, that was a book that was on Kickstarter. Um, Indiegogo, I've done for nonprofit. I've done for um, an event, an experience. Another one, Kickstarter, uh, last month we did for a TV show. Um, we've done for a physical product. It just it depends on the situation that you're in for your idea. Well, and I'm sure that's one of the things that you know, if you you were to bring them on as a client, that you, you guys would discuss about the the pros and cons of you know choosing a specific platform. But pretty much other than Indiegogo and Kickstarter, are there any others that anyone needs to look at? So here's my advice. I I like Kickstarter and Indiegogo because they're the most known. People fear what they don't know, and crowdfunding right. still new. So Kickstarter and Indiegogo are good. They have GoFundMe. They have they have like hundreds of crowdfunding platforms out there. Um, so it just depends. I mean, there's many forms of crowdfunding. A lot of people do crowdfunding campaigns. They don't even realize it just from raising money for events or stuff. You're raising money from the crowd. But I suggest if it was me and anybody that works with me, we do Kickstarter or Indiegogo because they're the most known platforms out there. Yep. Very good advice. So as we're wrapping up the end of the show here, I always ask everybody for that one tip to help somebody out you know they're creating a physical product and they might be stuck at a certain point and they feel like they've just hit a wall what advice would you give somebody to keep going or what advice do you think is important to keep in mind while you're trying to launch your own product yeah so <laughs> me going through this and I, I think the main reason why i went through with my idea is because i wanted to prove so many people wrong because they said i could never do it and it just it was like i have to do this means you get to that certain point like i just had to do it but for anybody getting into this for one do not do it for the money because it's very rare that you just invent an idea you make millions and it just happens just like that so don't do it for the money and be very simple with your idea stay simple a product that solves a problem and people actually want see if people want it. and i that's why i love crowdfunding because it's a way to see if the the market even demands it of you and if it does that your campaign fails then maybe you need to go to your next idea and Another thing, ideas are nothing without you. You have to push forward. You're going to, nobody will believe in your idea like you do. And for what I've learned is find somebody who's already achieved what you want to achieve and follow in their footsteps. So find somebody that is a successful inventor or product uh, guy, somebody like me who's taking a product tomorrow, learn from them, learn from their mistakes because those were the most costly for me and anybody else and get advice from people who have done in the industry and they can help you get in front of the line, I guess, per se, uh, to have success a lot faster. So that that's what I would say. I mean, it's persistence, perseverance, and never giving up. Believe in your idea 
and uh, finding people that have already done it. Don't go at it alone. Brandon, if people wanted to get in touch with you, I know you offer some services on Keys to the Crowd. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. So if anybody, by the way, keystothecrowd.com, we have a full out service company for crowdfunding, but if you go to that and subscribe. I actually have a seven day free course for people to teach them on crowdfunding. And then also we have, I created a course called Lightbulb to Launch that helps people that want to take their idea to market. I mean, everything I learned, my $100,000 of uh, training, learning mistakes, I put that into a course. So go to universityofyoungentrepreneurs.com and there's some courses there for under a hundred bucks that can help you. If anybody wants to personally reach out to me, I I tell you this before, like the best way to reach me is Snapchat. Um, BT Adams 18. I will snap you back. I love Snapchat. It's a great, unique way to market things. Uh, Just snap me and I'll, I'll get back to you right away. Awesome, Brandon. Hey, thanks again for coming on the show. You were super transparent. We covered a lot of material. Love to have you on the show again at some point, and maybe we can hit something in even more detail. So thanks again for uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Hey, thank you so much, man. And that's all I've got for today. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions or comments, I've put all the links that we've covered under the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com slash episode 27. Join me next time as I speak with Lisa Ruiz. She's the founder of Credible Products and has been featured on the Home Shopping Network. She was a former police officer and decided to take over the family janitorial cleaning supply business. She saw an opportunity in the consumer marketplace, creating cleaning products for home users that would give the same results that their professional customers enjoyed. So tune in next week to hear that episode. And again, just a gentle reminder, if you want to spend 30 minutes with me brainstorming ideas on how to get unstuck with your product-based business, shoot me a screenshot of your iTunes review along with ways that you think I can help grow this podcast to make it better to philip at theproductstartup.com. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Valitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.